0: Today, Paul's attention is fixed towards encouraging the Philippians and focusing their attention on what it means to have faith while living the Christian life. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4b. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the sharing of his sufferings, by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, I've already reached the goal, but I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have laid hold of it. But one thing I have laid hold of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, towards the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to take a moment of personal privilege and just say, I'm so grateful um, to be here, to be part of Country Club Christian Church, to serve in a small Way whatever I can do here. And I appreciate the hospitality that you've given me and my family, my wife and my son. Um, in the short time that we've been here, I know there's a, a mighty river of grace and love that has flown, uh, flows through this city that comes from C- Country Club Christian Church. and I'm grateful to jump into the stream with you, all of you and be a small part of what's going on here. So thank you. And I'm looking forward to the journey ahead. Would you please pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for this day, this opportunity to worship you here together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing in your sight. Let us learn more about how your son Jesus lives so that we may go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I know I may not look like it, but for three years I ran cross-country in high school. And really, I had three reasons for running cross-country. One, a lot of my friends were in it, and it was a good excuse to hang out with my friends. Two, I really liked the coach. Our coach was a very positive, inspiring man who had a way of being kind of this perfect mixture of kind and blunt. For example, one day my friend Ryan and I were walking the course before the race, And as we were walking, a group of about five or so boys, all extremely fit, all extremely likely to win the race that day, just so happened to be running past us. And as they ran past, we happened to notice we were passing our coach. And as this was happening, and once all the boys were out of earshot, we asked our coach, hey coach, how come we can't be as fast as those guys? To which our coach so eloquently replied, well boys, You can be that fast. You know what? I know you can be that fast. All you got to do is just give up the biscuits and gravy. (laughs) We all agreed that wasn't happening. But that brings me to the third reason I ran cross country. As someone who lacked a certain athletic shape and enjoyed a good hash brown breakfast, I knew coming first in a race was always going to be unrealistic but that was never my goal. In cross country, you can have a variety of goals and still be deemed successful. Yes, maybe you want to come in first in, each, in every race, or maybe you considered it to be successful to come in the top 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever have you. Maybe you wanted to f- finish in a certain amount of time or just be a little bit better than the last time you ran, or maybe you just want to get through it. Regardless, there are many ways to measure success and many different goals to achieve outside of any kind of scoreboard. And I liked that. I still like that. You see, because it's so different from our oft-used habit as humans to compare ourselves to one another. Because we humans, we're great at comparing ourselves, right? We gotta have as much as the Joneses. Houses, cars, sending our kids to the right school. Honey, look at that awesome lawnmower that Jim has. Can we get one of those? We compare, and maybe it isn't even about stuff. They're smarter, she's stronger, he's so in shape. They parent their kids so much better. Why didn't I get that promotion? Why are they so happy when my marriage fell apart? See, comparison is such a dangerous game that we play. And yet, we constantly do it. But too often, I find that we compare ourselves without first asking the question why? Why am I comparing myself to them? Is that really what I want? Why do I want more money? Why do I want that promotion? Why am I trying so hard to finish in this race? What really, ultimately, actually, truly matters? It's that kind of introspection that is at the heart of our message today from our scripture. As mentioned before, we are continuing in our letter to the church at Philippi, and really the important thing to know about this scripture is we're kind of being dropped in the middle of where Paul is really going after folks who base their theology on rules, expectations, and law rather than grace, the folks who feel like they win that comparison game. Starting in the second half of verse 4, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's a big deal, right? Paul says, look, I have every reason to boast. I'm from the right family. I've done all the right things. I've been good, right, and holy. I got an A plus in Sunday school. I'm good to go, right? But listen to this, verse 7. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. Do you hear that? Not that what came before is meaningless or that it doesn't matter, not that those things are wrong, but whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. Paul takes it a step further in verse 8. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, look. The version of the Bible that we read here at Country Club Christian Church, the NRSV, is a very prim and proper translation. It's also a very good translation. But right here, it's not exactly how Paul writes it. In fact, I'd say the Common English Bible gets it a little closer. I have lost everything for him, but what I lost I think of as sewer trash so that I might gain Christ. Sewer trash. There's another word you can use for that, but I'll let you plug it in at your leisure. You See, Paul. Paul's not dismissing those things. But what he has gained in Christ, in knowing Christ, in following Christ, it's greater than what has come before. What he has gained in Christ is now what he holds dear. In verse 10, he kind of expounds upon this, sticking with the common English Bible translation. The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participations in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Righteousness from knowing Christ, from having faith, from following Christ, and from participating participating in Christ's sufferings, death, and resurrection. Now I know what you might be thinking. Whoa, 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 preacher. I'm not sure I'm ready to do this suffering thing. I'm not really ready to die either, and resurrection, uh, yeah. Preacher, this seems like too much. Well, on one hand... Paul is kind of talking about a suffering and death in some regards, because suffering and death would be part of following Christ in this day and age. Remember, Paul's writing this letter from prison. And resurrection, well, Paul is certainly talking about some kind of life after death. We see so many examples in Paul's writing of this. But you see, I I think we can look at this idea of being conformed to the death and resurrection through the righteousness of knowing Christ in a way that makes a little bit more sense in our modern world and to us. In your bulletin today, on the front, we have a meditation from Jürgen Moltmann, one of the greatest theological minds of the the late 20th century. I think it provides a roadmap for us of what Paul is talking about here. Christian faith isn't just a conviction, a feeling, and a decision. It invades life so deeply that we have to talk about dying and being born again, which is what corresponds to the life, to the death and resurrection of Christ. I'd like to read that again. Christian faith isn't just a conviction, a feeling, and a decision. It invades life so deeply that we have to talk about dying and being born again, which is what corresponds to the death and resurrection of Christ. Friends, I fear we miss the beauty of what life with God has in store for us when we confine faith to creeds, to theology, to beliefs, or to even just those warm, fuzzy feelings that we get. Because the Christian life calls us so deeply into faith that it cannot be contained internally with our souls. For the faith that we are called to demands the outpouring into our lives, our actions, and our world. In other words, we got to do stuff. We have to do stuff. And while we concentrate so deeply on our convictions, true faith is more than just that. Because having faith in Christ means also doing the things that Christ has called you to do. You know the ones, right? Treat others as you would want to be treated. Give to the poor, feed folks, clothe folks, give them something to drink. And of course, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of it hangs on those last two. See, it isn't enough to say that you're a Christian or that you love Jesus or you have a strong faith because having faith in Christ means also having faith in the teachings of Christ and what Christ has called us to do. And yes, sometimes it means being uncomfortable. Yes, sometimes it means suffering. Yes, it means dying to that which came before so much that all else feels like sewer trash. But my friends... There's life and resurrection that comes from faith in Christ that makes everything possible. Sounds pretty great, right? Done and dusted. Have a great week. Let's sing, shake hands, eat cookies, all that jazz, right? You see, all that sounds good. Sometimes it's so difficult when the rubber actually hits the road. Because look, I, I know it's hard. It's so hard. There's so much need in the world. We got reminded of that too many times this past week. And quite frankly, what seems like the right thing to do can often feel like a moving target. But there is a reason that Paul uses this language of striving, pressing, reaching, straining when talking about the goal of Christian life because it is hard. We were never promised easy. But that's when the comparisons start coming in, right? We look at other folks and wonder why we aren't more generous, we aren't more charitable, we aren't more kind. Or we start comparing ourselves to the problems of the world. That's, my, that's a favorite of many folks. We want to fix everything, do everything, be a part of everything. And then when we can't, we become paralyzed and do nothing. But the good news is that we are not alone in this work nor are we expected to reach some kind of perfection right now. Even Paul says, I haven't attained this goal yet, but I'm working on it. You have permission to feel overwhelmed by the weight of the world sometimes. You have permission to curse, scream, cry, and get angry about the injustice of the world. You have the permission to take your complaint straight to God. You have permission to take a day off. You have permission to screw up from time to time. But then do you know what you do? You stop. You take a breath. You get back up. And you keep pressing on towards the goal. You do not have to arrive or be perfect or get it all right. Because you won't. None of us do. that's what this grace thing we always talk about is about. So what should your goal be? Quite frankly, just like a cross-country race, I think it looks different for everyone every single day. We all might have different goals, different capacities for doing different goods. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what your goal should be this week. But here's what I do know. Sometimes the Christian faith comes down to what author Glennon Doyle once wrote, just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing, one thing at a time. That'll take you all the way home. Press on towards the goal, my friends. Do the next th- right thing, whatever that thing might be for you. Amen.